sure you can try to keep up with the Kardashians, but there is another eminent family that's dominated the world of reality TV, modelling and social media over the last decade, the Hadids. And my goodness, has there been drama. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, Zara McDonald. We're at the bottom of a mountain. (laughs) We... We have so very much to cover in this series. I think the Hadid sisters might be the most interesting slash talked about hottest celebrities of our generation. Like these two appear to be our listeners or our demographics favorite celebrities. I think the it celebrities. The it girls. The it girls for sure. Bella definitely feels like that right now. Gigi certainly was that a couple of years ago, but they go kind of back and forth about who's sort of doing more work at any given point in time. We have four episodes worth of content to get through. (laughs) And I think what's been one of the more fascinating parts of this for me is I knew quite a lot about Bella and Gigi. I didn't know that much about Yolanda. Mm. And I find it so fascinating to learn a lot about who she is and what she's about <laughs> what what she's about because she's about some interesting stuff yeah she's a curious cookie i think any fellow fans of real housewives of beverly hills will be particularly excited about this one i have of course binged every episode of real housewives of beverly hills that is how i was introduced to yolanda that is what i know her for predominantly and you're right she's a curious cat another curious cat is the patriarch of the Hadid family father Muhammad Hadid he is a man who's been nicknamed the broke billionaire by the media now we will explain why in a future episode but there's so much going on in this family yes so much just a heads up too before we jump in the series will touch on themes of eating disorders and racist language so do keep that in mind as you listen but we are going to kick things off with perhaps the most controversial member of the family (laughs) i'm nervous we're gonna start with yolanda hadid we are rewinding back to 1964. All right, Zara, to begin this scandal series, we are in January 11, 1964, when Yolanda Vanden Herrick was born in South Holland. Now, Yolanda was just seven years old when her father died in a car accident, so not the easiest of childhoods. No, not at all. Her father, Jared, was only 29 years old when he died, leaving behind Yolanda, her brother, and her mother, Anne. In her 2017 memoir, Believe Me, a source will be referencing quite a little bit through this series, Mish. Yolanda wrote pretty intimately about how she was feeling at her father's funeral. Yeah, she wrote, I looked over at my mother and brother. They were both so distraught that I felt such sadness that I had never experienced before. In that fraction of a second, I made the strangely mature decision not to cry, but to rather be strong for the family that my father had left behind. I'm not sure why I had the higher consciousness to think that way at age seven, but I did. The higher consciousness. The higher consciousness. It's also interesting to frame crying at your father's funeral as a mature decision. Yeah, well, I do think it can be quite cultural too. Mm. Or family specific, depending on how families feel about the expression of emotion. Now, this emphasis on strength and stoicism, I think certainly hints 
or I don't even know what the stronger word of hint is, towards the kind of person and mother that Yolanda would eventually identify as. While the kind of public perception of Yolanda is certainly that she is brutal and pretty unyielding, particularly as a parent, she constantly characterises herself as Dutch tough. Yeah, Dutch tough. According to Yolanda, her mother Arns was a kick-ass single mum who refused to let her husband's death be, and I quote, a crutch for failure, either for herself or for her children. Of this, Yolanda wrote, Although she loved us with everything that she had and dedicated her life to us, she was also strict and we were raised to be very disciplined. In the summer after her father's death, Yolanda's mother sent her to pony camp, which triggered a lifelong love of animals and particularly horses, which was eventually passed on to Gigi and Bella. Now, around this time, Yolanda began suffering from fatigue and insomnia and was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus. Epstein-Barr is part of the herpes family of viruses and can kind of cause fatigue, fever, sore throat and other symptoms. It can also lead to glandular fever. Mm. Shortly after her Epstein-Barr diagnosis at about 14 years old, Yolanda was also diagnosed with appendicitis. Writing in her memoir, she said she believed these early illnesses were, and I quote, the culprit of my health journey as an adult, although she didn't really elaborate on why she believed this. I don't want to tell her she can't feel that way. It is interesting to look at something as common as Epstein-Barr or glandular fever. I mean, I've had glandular fever. Yes. And think that that has then led to lifelong disease or kind of written the future of what your health will look like. Yes, I agree with that. And appendicitis too, which does happen to not a lot of kids, but like my brother. I and know, it's not like... <laughs> I know plenty of people who yeah, have appendicitis. Yeah. Now, when Yolanda was 16, her friend asked her to go to Amsterdam with her to be a model in a hair show she was participating in. After some hesitation, Yolanda agreed to go just to help her friend. Once she arrived, she filled in for an unwell model in the fashion show. Reflecting on this, she wrote that she was, and I quote, straight from the barn and onto the catwalk. Not really sure I was a natural or just a convincing copycat of the other models. <laughs> Am I alone? I don't know if this is just cynicism. The number of stories we hear from women who say, oh, I just I just went along with my friend to this this modelling show and then I was just picked up as this model. Like, <laughs> but you I can think- just say you want to become a model and you became a model. Yeah, but then also part of me does believe some of them where it's like, if you're that hot, you probably can just be <laughs> hanging around the right area and get picked up. After the show, she was approached by a scout for Eileen Ford of Ford Models, a modelling agency which would eventually go on to sign supermodels Naomi Campbell and Christy Turling in the 90s. Yeah, so in 1980, Yolanda signed a deal with Eileen Ford in New York, who promptly organised a working visa for her to come and work as a model in America. Yolanda wrote in her memoir, Before I knew it, I was immersed in fashion and travelling the world. I was on runways all over Europe and travelled to an array of exotic locations for modelling jobs, making more money than I had ever dreamed of. As a working model, Yolanda was able to provide for her family, even though she was still at this point just a teenager and she never lived in Holland again. Writing in her memoir, I took every piece of the moral and emotional foundation that my mother gave me and used it while travelling the world for work. I was extremely disciplined, focused and motivated. Nothing was going to stop me from succeeding in this industry and I wanted to make my mama proud. She went on, I was extremely driven. The next 15 years of my life were hectic and busy. I was 
constantly on aeroplanes, driving all over the world without much time off. I was a workhorse who always kept going no matter how I felt. Coming from humble beginnings was my greatest gift because the motivation and hunger to be successful was ingrained in me. Besides feeling extremely grateful for the blessing of this life, I earned an incredible amount of money and successfully invested it. The financial independence felt powerful and gave me a lot of self-confidence. I would die to know how much money she's making. She's referenced it multiple times. Yeah, well, I also think if you're supporting your mum and your brother back home, though, it's all relative. Like if this is sort of an amount of money you've never seen before and you're able to support your family, I think it's not even that relevant. Like it could actually be in the grand scheme of how much money she made later, quite small. Yeah, yeah. But in the context of how she was living at this point, heaps. In 1987, when Yolanda's mother was just 46 and Yolanda was 23, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and needed a double mastectomy. Yolanda went back to Holland to help look after her mum as she recovered, which, according to her memoir, motivated Yolanda to become, and I quote, extremely health conscious and live a very clean life. We're going to talk a lot about Yolanda's relationship with health and the messages that that can send. It's not at all wrong to look at someone who is ill and say, you know what, I I do want to take my health very seriously. But I do think to look at someone with breast cancer and say, well, I'm going to live a very clean life. I do think sort of in some way insinuate some level of shame on someone who's sick as if they have some level of power over the cancer that is seizing their body. Absolutely. No, I think I'm definitely on the same page as you. I totally get that. Yolanda also realised that she was feeling tired and lonely around this time and she was really craving connection, particularly a meaningful relationship or even a sense of family and a place to call home. Which brings us to one of the most important relationships in Yolanda Hadid's life, her relationship with her first husband, Muhammad. Yeah, in 1993, Yolanda met Muhammad Hadid in Aspen, Colorado, while she was there for a photo shoot. They started talking and eventually fell in love and got engaged. She was about 29 at this point, Mish. Now, Muhammad is a luxury real estate developer who was born into a Palestinian Muslim family in Nazareth in 1948. He is 15 years older than Yolanda and did have two children from a previous marriage by the time that the two met. Yeah, Yolanda and Muhammad had three children together. They had Gigi in 1995, Bella in 96 and son Anwar in 99. Yolanda stopped modelling after giving birth to Bella and started actually working alongside Muhammad in his real estate business. In her memoir, she expressed how smart and creative Muhammad is and was and praised his determination to get back on his feet after the real estate crash of the early 90s. Yeah, looking back on this time in her life, she wrote, I loved being a mother of three and I was immersed in my life as a mummy and wife. It was a dream come true. I finally found a place where I belonged, my own special family in beautiful America. Yolanda and Muhammad's marriage, though, ended in 2000, just a year after Anwar was born. Now, Yolanda has cited Muhammad's infidelity as the cause of the divorce, as she wrote in her memoir. She said, he is a good human being and provider for his children and always has been an amazing son to his mother. But unfortunately for me, he is not a faithful husband. I do quite like this quote. I was about to say, the simplicity of that, just the fact, he is not a faithful husband. I really appreciate that quote. Yeah, but that doesn't sort of discount him being a good dad and a good son and 
an all-round good guy. I, I don't think you often hear people talk about infidelity in this way. I don't know if I would be as mature to do so. That said, there were quite a few years between his infidelity and when this book was written, so maybe it was all water under the bridge. What I do like, though, this is jumping ahead a little bit, despite Muhammad cheating on Yolanda, they always appeared to be very cordial and friendly for the benefit of their children. And despite my gripes with Yolanda and Muhammad as people, I always respected this watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. They did seem to be so mature for the sake of their children. Yeah, 1000%. In fact, they were so mature that it was actually Muhammad who introduced <laughs> Yolanda to her second husband. So in 2006, Muhammad called Yolanda and asked her to come to a dinner party that he was putting on at his house in Beverly Hills. And he told her that if she didn't start putting herself out there, Mish, she was going to be single forever. Yeah. She, nice. <laughs> she didn't end up going to that particular dinner party, but Muhammad called her the next day and told her about someone at the party named David Foster. Now, David was and is a very successful songwriter. Apparently, David saw a photograph of Yolanda with her kids and asked Muhammad who the beautiful woman was. I mean, he and Muhammad couldn't have been that good of friends if he didn't know what Muhammad's kids or ex-wife yeah i know <laughs> looked like now muhammad told david foster that that was yolanda his ex-wife and that she was currently single and available yolanda said she thought it was endearing that muhammad was worried about her in this way and eventually set up a date with him at muhammad's house so let's quickly chat about David Foster, Mish, before we go elsewhere. He is, as you mentioned, a songwriter and producer who has won a whopping 16 Grammys for his work with Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton, Donna Summer, Celine Dion, and so many more. I mean, he was and is quite a big deal. By the time he met Yolanda, he'd been through three marriages and divorces, the third of which was to actress Linda Thompson, who he divorced the year before he met Yolanda. Linda, as some of our listeners might know, was actually once married to Caitlyn Jenner, making David Foster the ex-stepfather to Brody and Brandon Jenner, who were the brothers of Kendall Jenner, who was very good friends with Gigi Hadid, whose stepdad <laughs> was at one point David Foster. Hollywood is a small, small world. And I'm sure everyone got that like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, as this romance was blossoming between Yolanda and David, Yolanda started encountering some hurdles when it came to her health. She had her thyroid removed after a tumour was discovered. And in her memoir, she writes about going through this really stressful, busy time in her life because she was constructing a new home in Malibu. Now, the site of her home construction in Malibu was a two-hour drive away from where she was living as it was being built. She said that in 2008, she began feeling really fatigued trying to stay on top of everything. Yes, and I think as a quick aside that is probably worth mentioning here is when you do read Yolanda's memoir, you do sort of notice this recurring theme of how busy she is all the time and how determined she is to be a workhorse even in times of illness. And it certainly wouldn't be fair to say she wasn't busy at this point in time when she clearly was. I mean, she had three kids yes. to care for. But I think she talks about being busy so much throughout the book that it does make you wonder either if she wants to prove something or if you think of anything when you think of Yolanda Hadid, you think of busyness. Yeah. In her book, she writes, after all, when you're strong-headed with a type A personality like me, you're determined to do it all. Nothing, no headaches or fear of fatigue is going to stop me. I'm on a mission to finish my house in Malibu. Many people get overwhelmed when they have too many balls in the air, but I thrive on it. Now, 
of course she's got three children as you said zara it is stressful to oversee a house being built never done it but i'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure I mean, it's it stressful fucking sounds it <laughs> there's no denying that she was busy however she was also incredibly privileged she's had multiple full-time staff members dedicated to helping her make her home life and her family life easier She's also made the decision here to drive out to Malibu every single day to oversee the construction of her house. She's opted into that two-hour or four-hour round trip, two hours both ways. Not every person would consider that absolutely necessary. Don't you have like a project manager on site for those kinds of things? She's so wealthy, but the thing about Yolanda that becomes very clear when you watch her on television is she is a control freak. She thinks that she will do the job better herself than anyone else could possibly do it yeah got you and I think it yeah I think all of this is worth talking about in the context of who she is and how she wants to be seen Mm -hmm. I guess now on the 11th of the 11th 2011 after five (laughs) years together Yolanda and David Foster got married Gigi and Bella were bridesmaids at the ceremony during which Michael Buble and Donna Summer reportedly performed as a wedding present for David Yolanda secretly filmed a music video to a song titled I Love You where she dressed up as an air stewardess and danced around a private plane some of the lyrics included If this world were mine, I would make you my king. You could have anything. (laughs) This is on YouTube for anyone wondering. We will also put it up on our Instagram in our gallery because it is something. Iconic. 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 (laughs) And just as they got married, Mish, their relationship was becoming much more public. So much so that their lives were practically being laid bare on television for people to cast judgment on. But we're going to talk about that after the break. All right, guys, so Zara teased it out before the break. Yolanda and David are about to be on reality TV. And you might be thinking that we're referencing Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but we're actually not quite yet because before the Real Housewives, Yolanda actually featured on a Dutch television show called Dutch Hollywood Women. It was all about Dutch women who wanted to make a life for themselves in Los Angeles. In clips from the show that we watched on YouTube, Yolanda took Bella and Gigi to try on their bridesmaid dresses for her wedding. Yes. Now we really tried to find out more about about Dutch Hollywood women, but unfortunately there's not a huge amount out there, Mish. The IMDb synopsis of Dutch Hollywood women reads as follows. Four very successful women from Holland share their secret to success with all of its ups and downs living in glamorous Hollywood. As far as we can tell, Yolanda only featured on this show for one season. Yeah, after her time on Dutch Hollywood Women, Yolanda was approached by producers for The Real Housewives to see if she'd be interested in joining the show. Although she was unsure about the role at first, she went through the casting process and was ultimately successful. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with The Real Housewives franchise, let's give some context. The Real Housewives franchise launched with The Real Housewives of Orange County in 2000. It set up the premise of all subsequent installments. Now, the show follows a group of wealthy, middle-aged women in their professional and personal lives. It especially focuses on events and conflicts amongst the cast. 
The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is the sixth instalment of the franchise and premiered in October 2010. According to the press release from the Real Housewives production company Bravo, the first season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills ranked as the second highest rated debut of all the Real Housewives franchise in all demographics, averaging 2.42 million total viewers. Suffice to say, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills was a pretty big deal. Just quickly speaking about this. Yes. About the Housewives franchise. Please. <laughs> I mean, I do want to quickly say our listeners who have listened to us on and off for the last few years will know that occasionally we've been sponsored by Hey You. So mm. the, any comments I'm about to make are not at all sponsored. What a ridiculously strong concept oh. that you can rinse and repeat everywhere in the world. Like... <laughs> so good you just it's a juggernaut but one of the smartest tv series truly that has to have been created of the last 20 years yeah is that an overstatement no it's so addictive zara because you also finish one it's the easiest thing to binge in the world like you finish one series you say i started with beverly hills it was the first one i watched you instantly then want to see other cities be covered like real housewives of salt lake city or miami like it is just such an easy show to watch such an enjoyable show to watch and it's just bloody clever i didn't realize that beverly hills came in so late in the game nor did i i honestly if you had have asked me point blank i would have said it was the first one i would have said new york is the first one i would have said beverly hills because like la the center of celebrity the center of a lot of wealth fair yeah everyone talks i think beverly hills is the biggest now yeah i think it's the most known for sure now becoming a main cast member on the real housewives for any of the cities was a big and clever move but particularly real housewives of beverly hills i mean with ratings as high as they were the real housewives of beverly hills was really a juggernaut to kind of make you an overnight celebrity not only for the main cast members but for their families as well. Yeah, the most popular housewives were also often rewarded with their own spin-off shows. For example, fellow Real Housewives of Beverly Hills cast member Lisa Vanderpump got multiple spin-offs. She's got Vanderpump Rules and then Vanderpump Dogs and Overserved with Lisa <laughs> Vanderpump, while original cast member of the New York franchise Bethany Frankel made four spin-off shows, including her very own talk show called Bethany. In her memoir, Yolanda explained that she was motivated to take the role of the Real Housewives because financial independence was very important to her, even though she was married to David Foster at this time, who is obviously loaded. In Believe Me, she wrote, I married David for love, not to be taken care of. He's been married three times, so I understood his sensitivity around finances. Of course, he didn't want to provide for my children. That's Muhammad's job and my job and exactly why I was very driven to keep working. Yolanda accepted the role on season three of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills in 2012 and shooting began that same year. In her book, she revealed that she received a six-figure salary for her time on the show for the first season. Her debut on the show aired in November 2012. Obsessed with the terminology six-figure salary because truly there's like a $900,000 range. (laughs) Anyway, in sort of making the decision to go on the show and to, you know, do all the filming, Yolanda did consult her three children and asked what they thought about her going on the show. She said they weren't thrilled about having cameras around their home, but they understood why Yolanda was interested in doing this. Mm. So let's talk about 
who they were at this point in time, how old they were and what they were like. Absolutely. Well, in 2012, Gigi, Yolanda's oldest child, was 17 and on the verge of what would become an incredibly successful modelling career. She had just recently given up volleyball, which she loved, in order to pursue modelling. She was named the face of a guest campaign the same year. It's fair to say that at this point in time, Gigi was about to become the next it girl. Yeah, she was on the precipice. Speaking to InStyle years after Yolanda wrapped Real Housewives, Gigi said she did struggle when Housewives started with cameras being around so much. She said, I would come home from school and there would be production trucks outside. I would scale the staircase to my room so I wouldn't have to go say hi to my mum in the kitchen. Bella Hadid was 15 and a high school student and pretty keen horse rider with her sights set on competing in the 2016 Olympics in equestrian when she was introduced on the show. She had a job, Mish, at Sun Life, a local juice shop in Malibu, where she was paid $7 an hour. (laughs) Very humble. Yes. (laughs) It was around this time that Bella began to struggle with her mental and physical health. According to a feature interview with American Vogue, Bella was prescribed Adderall for her inattention, which she says triggered an eating disorder looking back she told vogue i was on this calorie counting app which was like the devil to me i'd pack my little lunch with my three raspberries my celery stick i was just trying i realize now to feel in control of myself when i felt so out of control of everything else by this point in her life bella hadid had also undergone a nose job looking back it's pretty tricky to wrap your head around the fact that the young girl who was featured on Real Housewives had already had a major cosmetic surgery. Bella Hadid was only 14 years old when she underwent a nose job. Yeah, it's also worth noting that in order to get that surgery done as a minor, she would have had to have had permission from her parents. Speaking to Vogue years later, Bella said she did regret her decision to get that nose job. She said, I wish I had kept the nose of my ancestors. I think I would have grown into it. Bella had not yet expressed any interest in modelling, but the long-running comparisons between her and older sister Gigi had already started to kind of permeate. She later admitted to Vogue that growing up, she felt like the uglier sister, saying, I wasn't as cool as Gigi, not as outgoing. Lastly, Zara, we have Anwar Hadid, the youngest child in the family. He was only 12 years old. 12 when Real Housewives started with Yolanda. And for all intents and purposes, it seems like he was just a really normal preteen. Yeah. A rich preteen. I was going to (laughs) say, as normal as you are when your parents have buckets of money and you live in LA. Yes. So that was where all the kids were. And the Foster Hadids had been hired, Mish, for one of the biggest reality TV shows in the world. But all wasn't quite well in Yolanda's world at this point in time. Yeah, exactly right. By 2012, when she was shooting her first season of Real Housewives, Yolanda was starting to feel particularly unwell. She wrote in her memoir, I wasn't functioning at full capacity. Although the housewives and the viewers couldn't tell, my brain continued to fail as the season progressed. I wasn't feeling well when we started and it just got worse. I would push through it, thinking that I'm just having a temporary breakdown of my health. To get through filming, Yolanda said she relied on her serious work ethic instilled in her by her mother. 
After filming Wrapped on season one, she said her symptoms got worse. Describing her symptoms at this time in her memoir, she wrote, my fatigue was so severe that it was hard to walk from my bed to the bathroom. No matter how many hours I slept, I was totally wiped out. My migraines were unbearable and I had unexplainable night sweats and fever. She said she also experienced brain fog, a chronic cough and a racing heartbeat. Yeah, after a particularly bad migraine, David took Yolanda to the emergency room. In the hospital, she was tested for a long list of illnesses and she included this observation from her neurologist in her memoir. There was a major disruption in the patient's lifestyle and ability to function. Clearly, she was functioning previously at multiple levels, performing a multitude of tasks that would ordinarily overwhelm most individuals. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Oh, it kind just, of, it does, it feels there's a small element here, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> of uh, including like a primary school's teacher's report <laughs> in your memoir. Do you know what I mean? A multitude of tasks that would ordinarily overwhelm yes. most individuals. It says a lot, hey. Importantly, Yolanda tested negative for Lyme disease during this stay in hospital. She left the hospital with a diagnosis of chronic fatigue, which she described as, and I quote, a term doctors use when they don't know what's wrong with you. The diagnosis didn't resonate with me. Yolanda was very determined to receive a diagnosis that did resonate with her and literally said she wouldn't take no for an answer. On her quest, she flew to Belgium to see a chronic fatigue expert by the name of Dr. Kenny DeMille, who told her she didn't have chronic fatigue despite showing symptoms for it. She also learned at this point from an alternative doctor that she was apparently allergic to pears, oats, peas, lentils, mushrooms, lobster, yeast, eggs, whites, soybeans, peanuts, cabbage, pistachio, <sighs> barley and more. Again, that was an alternative doctor yes. who found that. It was Dr. Demila who diagnosed Yolanda with chronic Lyme disease, which was a diagnosis that resonated with every part of Yolanda's being that is from her memoir after this she embarked on 90 straight days of intravenous antibiotics upon that belgian doctor's recommendation now we should mention that according to the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases also known as NIAID, carefully designed placebo control studies have failed to demonstrate that prolonged antibiotic therapy is beneficial to patients with post-treatment lyme disease syndrome they also note that long-term antibiotic use can cause serious side effects. To be on antibiotics for 90 straight days intravenously is certainly a choice. Yes. The antibiotics made Yolanda extremely unwell with symptoms that weren't super different, Mish, from her pre-existing symptoms, which sort of does make things a little confusing to read because Yolanda said she was essentially bedridden at this point. It was around this time, too, that her children, Bella and Anwar, were also given chronic Lyme disease diagnoses, as well as Yolanda's best friend, Paige, all from doctors recommended and used by Yolanda. Mm. Now, we do need to have a, a conversation here about Lyme disease and chronic Lyme, as Yolanda describes it, because there is a lot to unpack and, and multiple points of view that come into play. Yeah. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, known as the CDC, Lyme disease disease is the most common vector-borne disease in the United States. It's an illness that's transmitted to humans through tick bites and the symptoms include fever, fatigue, muscle pain and this very characteristic bullseye-shaped rash. Now, if left untreated, Lyme disease can cause infections in the brain or in and around the heart. 
Most cases of Lyme disease can be treated successfully with antibiotics within a few weeks. So not 90 days, just a few weeks. Occasionally, patients can experience lingering Lyme symptoms post-treatment. Now that is called post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. While we don't know for sure why some patients experience it, some experts believe that Lyme can sometimes trigger an autoimmune response that causes long-lasting symptoms. Now, most patients recover from post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome over time, but it can take a few months. Yes, Lyme disease and post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome are not the same thing as chronic Lyme disease. Chronic Lyme disease is, in short, not proven to be real by any credible scientific studies. It is a term sometimes used to describe patients who actually have been infected with the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, but is also used to describe symptoms in people who have no past or present clinical or diagnostic evidence of the bacteria that causes Lyme. Sorry, I know this is like quite dense, but I truly think incredibly important for what we're speaking of. Mm. This is a very tricky one, right? Because Yolanda has said many times that she was experiencing horrible symptoms and we do want to acknowledge it can be really hard for people with chronic symptoms and chronic pain to get proper diagnosis. Yeah, we don't want to invalidate her experience whatsoever. However, it would be a definite shortcoming if we did not tell you that according to extensive research, chronic Lyme disease does not exist and the rhetoric that Yolanda uses to describe her condition and its causes, as well as the treatments that she's used over the years, can be really dangerous. I mean, we're talking about a condition here that science has looked at and never validated. We're talking about a condition that has existed on the periphery in very alternative circles. Yes, there's no doubt that Yolanda has said time and time and time again that over these years she was very, very sick. But she also, as a quick spoiler, did a lot of harm mm. by showing so publicly and so many people these ways that she was trying to fix herself that were not scientifically proven. That is what we will be talking about over the next few episodes. Yeah, and she also tested negative to Lyme. Yes. So, like, if we didn't have that original piece of information and then Yolanda telling us, well, then I went overseas and I was hell-bent on getting this diagnosis, then I would think, okay, well, she tested positive for Lyme. Maybe she had this post-treatment Lyme syndrome that we know is scientifically recognised. It's very difficult to kind of join the dots when she tested negative. Yes, correct. So that's what had been happening in the background with Yolanda's health as she embarked on her first season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Her co-stars for this season were Brandy Glanville, Kyle and Kim Richards, Adrian Maloof, Taylor Armstrong and Lisa Vanderpump. Very iconic lineup, if I do say so myself. Now, speaking about her first experiences on The Real Housewives in her memoir, Yolanda wrote that despite producer recommendations to watch the show, she didn't feel the need to catch up on the previous two seasons. I cannot imagine this. I cannot imagine signing up for a reality TV show where two seasons have already aired and thinking, I don't need to watch a second of that. It's irrelevant to me. <laughs> Why do I feel like this is such a common story we hear with celebrities? I just don't believe it. I do believe it. I believe it wholeheartedly. How? Are you kidding Ego. Arrogance and ego. ego. I think it's arrogance and ego that when they don't come across well, they can then turn back and say, well, I had no idea what the show was about. I had no idea that they would twist my words the way they did. I just think it's ego. I believe <laughs> that she didn't truly. Okay. It's insane. It is insane. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, with all of this in mind, Yolanda made a big splash on Real Housewives. <laughs> She was pretty controversial. Her blunt, outspoken manner didn't always translate well to her castmates or to the viewers. And some of the things she said and did on the first season 
of the show were downright offensive. Yeah, for example, in the second episode of her first season, Yolanda accompanied Gigi to a photo shoot and explained to the audience that Gigi had been modelling since she was three. There, Gigi and Yolanda discussed Gigi's upcoming birthday party, to which Gigi said she was super excited to eat the food. Now, in response to that, her mother replied, you can have one night of being bad and then you're going to get back on your diet. Because, you know, in Paris and Milan, they like girls just a tad on the skinny side. Yeah. She then also said to the camera, I've been there as a model. I've been where Gigi is going. So I think the advice is valid. Having a mum that's constantly saying that to you could not have an impact of your own sense of self. Now, in another pretty offensive moment, unfathomably in the very same scene, Yolanda asked a makeup artist to round out Gigi's eye makeup so she didn't look Chinese. Here is a snippet of that segment. Just keep in mind, she's speaking quite quietly here initially, so the audio isn't as clear or crisp as it could be. Would you round Gigi's eyes a little bit on the side so because of her high eyebrows, because it makes her look Chinese really quick? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, guys, there we have it. By Yolanda's literal second appearance on Real Housewives, she was already becoming known as a mother who was pretty toxic when it came to what her daughter ate. And also racist. It's not a great start, but tellingly, these comments don't really affect Yolanda's time on the show. I mean, we need to remember the time. It was 2012. I don't think we were as on top of comments and sentiments like this as we are now. Well, I just don't think we were on the internet as much. So I don't think that there was as much discourse around anything we mm. were watching and having like universal conversations. Another spoiler alert, this will come back to bite Yolanda as it absolutely should. Now, in another offensive scene in the same season, Yolanda and her kids sat around the kitchen table talking about Gigi's time as a volleyball player. Speaking to camera, Yolanda said, the volleyball player's bodies are big and bulky and they eat like men. I wanted her to develop as a woman. <sighs> Gigi then replied, in third grade, remember I used to wear basketball clothes every day? To which Yolanda replied, yes, a Laker jersey, right? I thought my daughter was a lesbian. Mm. Yeah. yeah. She she is something. She really is. And if you needed any more proof about how toxic she was about food, in a later episode of the show, the cast threw a party for Gigi, who had just graduated high school and was moving to New York to attend college. Yolanda presented her with a cake. And as Gigi cut into it, she said, this is the hardest for being on our diet. Our diet. Our diet. Gigi replied, I have to have a bite for good luck though. Mummy, you're going to have a little bite with me. Then Yolanda actually made quite a bit of a scene here and it's pretty clear she did not want to eat the cake. So she pulled a tiny piece of cake that Gigi cut for her in half and offered Gigi a piece. Now a reminder, this is Gigi's birthday cake. This isn't like, it would be bad enough if they were at some random birthday party going, oh, we'll just have a little bit. This is Gigi's Gigi's cake cake that she's not even allowed to eat eat. Speaking to the audience in a piece to camera, Yolanda said, Gigi's in charge of her own diet, but to be on your best weight, you've got to make the right choices. Oh, and it's also like, if this is the stuff that she was totally fine being filmed, what else was she saying when cameras weren't rolling? Like, was she inflaming this because the cameras are on? Or was this just like, 
scratching the surface of the kind of conversations she was having with her kids. Yeah, I don't know. Probably the latter, yeah, I've got to say. probably the latter. I think as well, I've seen some commentary online that I just want to quickly touch upon. There is discourse to say, well, aren't we glad sometimes or aren't we relieved that the women of Hollywood are transparent and honest about the lengths they need to go to to have the bodies they have and be at the weight that they're at. I appreciate that is a thought, but we're talking about a teenage girl here and the dynamic with her mother. I think that's a very different kettle of fish as if this was like a model who is in her mid-20s telling the camera, look, I don't look this way easily. I actually sacrifice a lot. I can understand how that can be a healthy rhetoric or a healthier rhetoric than yeah, healthier. pizza. It's still messy. Yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. still messy. It's all super messy, but I don't think we can excuse this on any level when we're talking about a mother and her child. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm actually surprised that people even try to use that justification for it. It's just like plainly toxic parenting. Mm. Now, the thing about this, though, is Gigi Hadid's career at this point in time was very much about to explode. And while she was already considered an up-and-coming it girl, it would not take long for her stardom and her success to usurp her mother's. Put all of that, Mish, on the next episode of Scandal. Yeah, guys, we cannot wait. There's also a DUI that we need to talk about on the next episode that is truly an interesting ride. I cannot wait. We will be back for episode two next week. What can people do in the meantime? Well, if they want to listen to episode two right now, they actually can. All they have to do is subscribe to our subscription offering on Apple Podcasts called Shane Moore. You can get all four episodes right now. If you've got a quiet day ahead or if you're a road trip or tapping away at work and you want something to kind of keep you... I don't know, company? Keep you entertained. You can listen to all four episodes now. All you have to do is jump on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Shane Moore, as I mentioned. In the meantime, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We will have a real array of nostalgic photos here for you to look at. <laughs> and that music video. And that music video. We are also on TikTok at Shameless Podcast. Bye, guys. See ya. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.